don't know about you, but I think uh, this time of quarantine, this time of uh, sheltering in place and social distancing, um, I've tried to find a lot more hobbies. I've tried to find a lot more to do just to keep myself occupied, uh, to make sure that we don't go crazy in this time. But I don't know, maybe it's my dirty little secret. Um, but I, I enjoy, I enjoy just being locked up in my office. I enjoy, uh, just being alone, uh, partially because it gives me time to read and, um, to study. And, and, and I try to do those things, especially in the mornings. I've really appreciated my mornings, my morning times just to, to go into the word or, or to study, study, uh, God's word and, and study like, theologians and reread things and, uh, go over books and, and just learn more things about, uh, our faith. But I think my dirty little secret is, is even before this quarantine happened, I play a lot of video games. Uh, and, and it's funny because playing video games is, uh, something that has been looked down upon so much. So, um, in, in all in, in culture, in, I guess just maybe, maybe just my upbringing, um, playing video games was something that it was kind of looked down upon. But, uh, now that we're, we're in shelter in place and we're all at home, uh, I'm the one laughing now. I'm the one that's having so much fun, uh, just being able to play video games all the time. Uh, it's, it's just such a good or it's, it is not a good distraction, but it's just a distraction. Um, it's a distraction from, from life. It's a distraction from, uh, kind of what's going on on the outside world that you can immerse yourself in a game. Uh, there's one game in particular I play and I play with Matthew. Uh, he goes to our church. Um, I play with Matthew a lot. And in this game, I get really intense. I'm a, I'm a really intense person. Uh, and, and Matthew can attest, uh, I, I get kind of crazy. Uh, I get kind of insane and I, I, I have to apologize. I, I apologize to Matthew all the time, but Matthew, I'm sorry. I, I, he's, he's always the brunt end of my, my frustrations in the game. It's a very unpastoral side of me. And so again, Matthew, I'm sorry for yelling at you. Uh, but, but it kind of, that's how it goes is, um, <laughs> When we play these video games, I get very competitive. I get very intense. I get very lost in in the video game, um, and sometimes you know uh, the my temper gets the, the the best of me. And I'm sure if you have children who who play games or if you play games, you kind of get that sense of rage sometimes when you play games. And I think that's where a lot of the uh, negative stereotypes about gaming comes into play because um, there's a lot of like this toxic behavior that happens on the internet. But I, I kind of get it. And I'm not here to I'm not here to condemn anyone who 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 gets intense when they play video games because I'm I'm guilty as charged. But I think what happens, the reason why video games is is so fun, not to condone that kind of feeling, those intense passionate emotions. I'm not trying to con, con um, condone them. What I'm saying is is that when you play a game, you get lost in the game. You get lost in the game, and it becomes kind of your reality, your world. And, and we call it a virtual reality. We call it, um, we call it a distraction, but what this distraction does, it takes you out of, uh, out of the moment that you're in. You're not, you're no longer sitting in your office. You're no longer sitting, sitting in your living room. You're, you're kind of immersed in the world. So for some of you, it's not video games. For some of you, it's watching movies. Uh, this, this time of quarantine has been a time of you uh, being able to really sit down and, and watch a lot of movies or binge on your favorite TV show. And what makes a good TV show, what makes it, what makes it popular or what makes it like important to you is that you get lost in the world that you're observing. 
for some of you who are, who are even better, and, and what I've tried to do during this time of quarantine is, is try to read more. And, and even as I'm, I'm reading books and I'm trying to um, really read at least an hour, an hour every morning, um, whether it be fiction or nonfiction, but just try to read that hour a morning, you know, when you find yourself, when you find yourself reading a good book, whether it's nonfiction or fiction, you get lost in the world. And what ends up happening is that this, this distraction, these distractions uh, are very helpful for our, our mentality, for our psyche. It's, it's very helpful to not have to just be in reality all the time. That's why going into games and, and movies and TV shows and, and books help to kind of decrease that anxiety, uh, that, that those worries and those stresses that we face and, and why Netflix is so popular during this time. Why, you know, going uh, and, and renting a movie on Amazon or making sure that you have a board game to play with. And, and I've gone as far... With some friends, we play board games online or we play games together uh, online just to have that kind of moment of, of getting out of reality. Uh, I know there's even a member in our church that plays Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I, I won't out you, but, you know, Dungeons and Dragons sounds super fun because you're, you're lost in this fantasy world. So, again, I'm not knocking anyone for doing those things. I'm not knocking anyone for being distracted, uh, for, for going into going into a mode of going into a mode of uh, trying to get out of out of reality but I think today what I want us to do as we go into this study on the book of Ecclesiastes again it's not to condemn you if you watch a lot of TV or if you watch movies or if you read a lot of books or play a lot of games I'm not again this is do not take this as me saying you shouldn't be doing those things uh, you know go ahead and, and and do those things what I'm saying is um, as your pastor, what I want us to examine is reality. I do want us to examine your current situation. I, wanted to, I want us to dive into the deep questions of life. And, and I chose the book of Ecclesiastes because I want to talk about this during this time period. This book is so relevant to modern life. A lot of times in the Bible, we read the Bible and it's written in such antiquity. It's written so long ago, thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, so long ago that really the characters seem so distant from us. They don't understand. They don't know what an iPhone is. They don't know what TikTok is. They don't know what YouTube is. And so how can the word of God, how can scripture talk to where we are? How can it talk to our problems how can it answer the questions that we have in our life? But the book of Ecclesiastes, if I could characterize it, it's kind of that, um, that weird kid in class. Uh, if the other books in the Bible, they're, they're the, the ones that sit in the front row, that they have, you know, they're, they're like popular people. You know, like the book, of, the book of John is like the popular kid in the class. The one that, that is really cool and artsy. The one that everyone likes to go to first. Like they're always picked first. Um, you know, the, the book of Romans is the really smart kid. We're going over a, a Romans Bible study on Saturday mornings. Uh, if, you, if you've joined us, the book of Romans is that really straightforward really smart, uh, top of their class, you know, captain of the rowing team kind of guy. Uh, the other books of the Bible, like Genesis, is that really cute girl that uh, we always we always like going to, uh, especially, especially because they're just super popular. But the book of Ecclesiastes is that kid in the class that sits in the back row. Uh, they're the kid in the class that seems really weird and depressed 
they, they have like a dark cloud over them. They're really smart. Uh, don't get me wrong. The Book of Ecclesiastes is that kid in the class that is probably smarter than all of the other kids in the class. But the Book of Ecclesiastes is that goth kid. It's that kid that, that kind of sits in the back that they have, you know, their, their hood up and they're, they're kind of just doing their own thing. And when you try to talk to them, when you try to talk to the book of Ecclesiastes um, and you say, hey, Ecclesiastes, what's up? How's it going? Uh, how's, how's life been? And, and they look at you, you know, from their hood, they take, they take their hood off and they say, everything's meaningless. Everything's useless. The world, the world is pointless. You're kind of like, whoa, okay, Ecclesiastes, uh, I'm going to go hang out with John. Uh, I'll go hang out with 1 Corinthians. Uh, they're a little messed up, but at least, at least we'll have some fun stuff to talk about. And so what we do is we take the book of Ecclesiastes and uh, we kind of shove it to the corner. We shove it to the back of the room where Song of Solomon's is uh, going, making out you know, in, the, in the back room. But the book of Ecclesiastes is one we don't really like to touch very much. All jokes aside... This book is uh, considered a book of wisdom. It's wisdom literature. Uh, I think the closest thing that we can uh, uh, at least categorize Ecclesiastes with is the book of Job. The book of Job is also this poetry, this wisdom literature, in the same way Psalms and Proverbs are. So Psalms, Proverbs, Job, uh, Song of Solomon, um, Ecclesiastes, all of these kind of fit into this poetic form uh, of literature. But inside of Ecclesiastes is this deep knowledge. Perhaps, and not to say that the other books are not honest, but perhaps Ecclesiastes is the most honest book of the Bible. Perhaps it's, it's the one book that tells, tells it out how it is. Tells us what the world really is for face value. And I think that's, it's, a, it's a good time for us to gather together on the internet and talk about vanity. Talk about the book of Ecclesiastes. And I don't know how long this sermon series is going to be. I, I, I've planned it out uh, to a certain extent, but I, I have no idea how long it's going to be. And I think that's, um, that's good for this season because who knows how long we're going to be in, in this shelter at, in, in place or how, how no one, I mean, how long it's going to be before we can gather in normalcy again. And so I, I think talking about the book of Ecclesiastes during this time period is going to be good. But let's, let's dive right into the text. And so the way the book of Ecclesiastes begins is with uh, the son of David, so Solomon. Uh, and, there, and there is some argument about you know, who, wrote, who wrote Ecclesiastes. Let me move myself. Who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, but it's my firm belief that it's King Solomon. It's, it's kind of clear based on uh, the self-attestation uh, of, of the text. but. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting from verse 1, says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanity. All is vanity. What does, a man gain, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Verse 5. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. 
What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said? See, this is new. It has already, it has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. So in this first beginning chapter of uh, Ecclesiastes, the writer, the preacher, um, in Hebrew, it's the Kohelet, and, and the preacher, uh, this Kohelet, this teacher, this rabbi, this guy who is uh, full of wisdom. And uh, I think there's a, 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 a an attribute that a Kohelet has, this preacher has, uh, that I, I maybe I don't have. And, and it's this wizened old age uh, that this guy is talking from. This isn't young King Solomon talking at this time. Uh, this is a man who has lived a lot of life, who is nearing the, the, the twilight of his, of his life. Um, he has already seen a lot. He has done a lot. And King Solomon, um, since that is the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, man, he's seen a lot. He's done a lot. Um, he, he has experienced a lot of things being the king. He has experienced riches. He has met with the leaders of the world. Uh, he has done pretty much everything that could be done. This man has experienced in his life. And the way I want us to approach this text, this scripture, this, this, this word of God to you is this wizened old man. This man who, who was called the wisest man of all time. The wisest person because when, when God had asked Solomon what he wanted, whether he wanted the riches or the power of this world, Solomon said, I want wisdom. And so God granted him wisdom. And so this man who's writing this book, the guy who wrote a lot of the, the book of Proverbs, it is nearing the end of his life. And he's talking a, more philosophy than perhaps the rest of the entire Bible. The rest of the Bible is, is very interested in theology. But what the book of Ecclesiastes take on theology is, is from a lens of philosophy. It's from a lens of moral philosophy. It's, it's a philosopher teaching students the meaning of life. And, and that really is the, the question. The question, I apologize. The question of life. The question of life is... This question of what is the point of life. And so we begin this, this passage. We begin this um, chapter talking about vanity, vanity, everything. Vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Um, what, 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 what is that definition of vanity is very important for us. And, and that definition, at least how I interpret this definition, is found in James chapter 4. Verse 14. And so James, uh, which is the New Testament, in James chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist. And it's that word mist that is so important. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And so in the Hebrew, this word vanity, this word vanity is translated hevel. And this word hevel has a lot of different uh, interpretations. But this word hevel... Uh, the best interpretation, and I remember asking my Hebrew professor because she was teaching this to us. The best interpretation, at least if you want to get to the Hebrew of Hevel, of this vanity, 
is this idea of a vapor, of a mist, of a breath. And, and, and I, the way she explained it was when you go outside on a cold morning and, and you breathe and you see your breath, um, you, you, can see, you can see the vapor of your breath and how it, it's there for a moment and it's gone. And, what, and what I think what my Hebrew professor was trying to teach me uh, when she was saying that Ecclesiastes talks about Hevel, this vanity, it's not to say that it's ugly, not to say that it's, it's um, this gross thing, that it's this bad thing. It's, it, has, it doesn't have the negative connotations. Even when I wrote vanity, um, some translations say meaningless, meaningless, uh, everything is meaningless. There is this negative connotation that we have put on it as a, a society, especially in English. Uh, I think what she was trying to point to me was that in Hebrew, there isn't that negative connotation uh, of Hevel. It's not to say that the breath of life is bad, that this this mist that comes out is bad. She, she even said, um, in many, sometimes in the Bible, Hevel is used to describe the flowers of the field, uh, that they are Hevel, that they are this vanity. Uh, but again, not, not being vain, not this, this bad thing, uh, but that it's very temporary. And again, without the negative connotations of vanity, if you called someone vain, if you said you are so, you are so vain, you have so much vanity, then what, you're, you're, you're dissing them. You are saying something bad about them. What I'm trying to say here is in the book of Ecclesiastes, we already need to start on the right foot of interpretation of what the text is saying, is that life is a breath. Life is an instant. It's a mist. In the same way that when we wake up, and in Colorado especially, you wake up and you breathe outside and you see the vapor of your breath. It's not ugly. It's beautiful. It's, it's fun. It's, it's something that is... Um, is something that it, I don't know. As a kid, I loved seeing my breath. You know, you pretend you're smoking, and you're just like, and you see all, all of, all of your, your, you know, your breath, your, your vapor, the, the vapor, and that is what this word means. And and the point of Ecclesiastes isn't to say that life is bad, and I think that's why a lot of people take the book of Ecclesiastes to be so depressing. Oh, life is meaningless. It's pointless. It's bad. It's worthless. That's not really what the book of Ecclesiastes is teaching us. The book of Ecclesiastes is, is asking a question. And it's an important question. It's the question of life. The book of Ecclesiastes is doing something very, very important to, to you. And it's asking you, since your life is so quick, since it's like a vapor, since it's like something that goes away in an instant, what is your life's meaning? What is your life's purpose? And, and it's, it's something that, that we do find ourselves straying away from, even in times, especially in times where we want and crave distraction. I talked earlier in the intro about playing video games. I think what happens a lot when we play video games or we watch movies and we watch TV or we read books is we find ourselves hiding from the question of life. We find ourselves not having to face the real tough questions of our mortality, of our temperate body, these temporary vessels that we live in, that we exist in. And, and we have these philosophers, and I'm sure you could read a lot of philosophy books during this time, 
and and they go into the various meanings of the meaning of life and and there's these different camps and these different uh, ideas about the meaning of life and i think what modern times has come down to the answer to this philosophical question and and i I think it's a rejection of the postmodern answer but i think the answer that a lot of uh, modern the modern world has given to you and to me is that your life is what you make of it the purpose of your life is what you deem is the purpose of your life is what you want to do it's it's what you strive after for a lot of us without even understanding philosophy deeply what we do is is we we say the answer to the question of life is whatever i want the answer to be the answer to the question of life is what I dictate it to be. And so the answer for my life is I want to have a family. I want to have kids. I want to have a wife. And that will solve the question of life. It will give me purpose. It will give me satisfaction. For some of us, it's, um, you know what? I want to build something. I want to build something from the ground up. I want to build a company. I want to build a business. Or I want to just produce something. I want to make a lasting impact on the world. And if I make that lasting impact on the world, then I will have answered the question of life. For some, we're, we're purely more, um, we're more temporary, we're more fleshly, we're more hedonistic. And we're just like, the purpose of the answer to the question of life is just to have a good time. I just want to have fun. I'm just going to have a great time. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm going to enjoy the people around me. Uh, we're going to have a great time. We're going to party. Uh, like there's no tomorrow. And that is the answer to life. And for some, um, we kind of go a little more, more lofty and we're like, hey, the answer to life is, is love. So I'm just going to find love and I'm going to love uh, my family. I'm going to love my friends. I'm going to love my church. I'm going to love my coworkers. I'm going to love everyone. And that's the answer to life. Something interesting that this teacher does. <laughs> is that he explains that all of these answers to the question of life have already been given. That there is nothing new. That there is nothing new under the sun. And this is perhaps the, the, the hardest thing to digest inside of us. That there is nothing new. That all of these answers, that a desire to have a family, a desire to make a lot of money, a desire to live hedonistically and, and have these fleshly desires, a desire for friendship, a desire, a desire for these, this purpose in life has existed since the beginning of humanity. And this teacher, Solomon, is saying, you know, I'm an old man and I've experienced life to the fullest. I've, I've experienced life in ways that many of you could only dare dream of experiencing it. And what I can say is, is that all of your answers to life, it's vanity. It's a vapor. Your family is a vapor. Your business is a vapor. Your pleasure, it's a vapor. Everything goes away. Everything is temporary. Just gone and and this is really where i want us to to pause for a moment because i think what our world likes to do is to shove in our faces things that are new things that are novel 
things that are, are, are like exciting and wow, this is a brand new experience. This is a brand new iPhone. This is a brand new computer. This is a brand new game station. This is a brand new book. This is a brand new TV show. This is a brand new movie. And we go through the motions of experiencing these quote unquote new things. But what these new things do is simply distract you from the sad reality that we're temporary. The sad reality that it's going to fade away. The sad reality that your life is like that breath in the morning. It's pretty, it's nice, but it's going to fade away and we are going to eventually go back to dust. And it sounds really depressing and this is why the book of Ecclesiastes is is rather difficult to preach on because it's so morose, it's so dark, it's so deep, it's just this book that just seems to drag and drag and drag. I mean, if we read over the passage again, man, this teacher seems like Debbie Downer. He seems like this guy that's just depressed because he's this old man who's explained to these young people. And the book of Ecclesiastes is directed to young people. That the book of Ecclesiastes is written to teach the younger generation how to embrace life for what it really is. The purpose of life. And I, I think I think what we need to do is very important. I think we need to wake up. I think what we like to do, even when it comes to the book of Ecclesiastes, is we like to skip over it. We like to not read it because it seems so depressing. It seems so hurtful. It seems so dark. And, and we want to get to the good part. We want to get to the, the resolution. We want to get to that part where we become the victors, where we are the ones in victorious and we can find meaning in life. That we don't have to mull over the fact that life is pointless, that life is meaningless, that life is this vapor, that life is temporary. We don't like having to wrestle with those feelings. But I think we need to embrace it Especially during this time. Especially during this time where, where you have a lot of time to think about your mortality, about your life, about your essence. And when I say essence, it is a philosophical term. But when I say essence, what I mean is what is your purpose on this world? What were you made for? What were you made to do? And this is a question that we're going to have to ask ourselves. And not just ask ourselves, but we're asking God, God, what have you made me to do? And yes, I may be temporary in this body, but in this temporary body, in this temporary day, what am I made to do? What would you like me to do today, Lord? We need to wake up to this existential crisis that many of us face. And instead of having that midlife crisis where we buy a new sports car or we buy a bigger house or we get a motorcycle. I really want a motorcycle. I know I'm not in my midlife, but I've, I, my wife knows. I talk about motorcycles a lot these days. But instead of, of buying something to appease this midlife crisis, we need to wake up. Face the music. Your life is temporary. It's but a vapor. It's but a mist. It's but a breath. It's this temporary thing. And we need to wrestle with this existential question of what is the purpose of your life? 
And I want to rest, I want you to wrestle with that this week. And, and I want you to wrestle before I get to the good part. I, I want you to wrestle with that before I get to the good part of wrestling. What has your life amounted to? That's the question I have for you today. What, what has your life amount, amounted to? What, what do you have to show for in your life? After all the things that you've done, after all the things you've experienced, what do you have to show for? What have you actually produced? What are you actually left with? And I think a lot of us want to stray away from this question because we don't have much to show for. We don't have much in our life that we can say, hey, I am, I have left a legacy. I have left something permanent. I can be immortal. I can live forever. I can do a lot. A lot of us, when we really face that question of what do we have to show for, I don't know about you, but my answer, if I died today, if, if my temporary life ended today, I, I don't have much to show for. Probably the best thing that I have is my children. Uh, what I would be leaving behind are my kids. Now, I know that sounds really depressing. But I want to rest there a little bit. Because it's in this realization. In this realization that your life is vanity. Your life is vanity of vanity. We're so afraid of hitting that rock bottom. But in that realization that your life is vanity, this is where we find our hunger, our need for the gospel. Guys, this is, this is like what gets me excited about the book of Ecclesiastes. This is why I like it so much. It's because it, it has us face ourselves. It's a mirror unto our lives that's so honest. That is so, that is so in your face that your life is meaningless. And it's the Bible that's telling you. Like, it literally is your, is the Bible that's telling your life is vanity. It is but a breath. It is temporary. It's, it's like, it's, it's just going to disappear. It's going to go away. Your life, you're going to, there's nothing that's going to be left of your life. That when you pass away, when you die, it is meaningless. It is worthless. It is temporary. This is why the gospel is so attractive. Ecclesiastes has us face the question of life, and what it does is it makes Jesus taste so sweet. It makes Jesus feel so comforting. He is not only that warm blanket, he is the good answer to the question that Ecclesiastes poses. Without Jesus, without the cross, without Easter, your life is meaningless. And you can do all you want. You can, you can make as much money as you want. You can have as many wives as you want. I don't know if you knew this, but Solomon had essentially a thousand wives. I mean, he had like 700 concubines. But he had basically a thousand women uh, who slept with him. And, and maybe that's, that's the meaning of life. But no, Solomon is saying, none of those things of this earth bring any meaning whatsoever. So feel free. Go and make a ton of money. Go and make all of the relationships you want. Go and be the most powerful, powerful person in the world. Have as many children as you want. Build for yourselves these great grand temples, these grand palaces. But at the end of the day, your life, your life is still temporary. And what the book of Ecclesiastes does is that it sets the stage so beautifully 
that every other book in the Bible does as well. But Ecclesiastes takes such a non-conventional route to the gospel that it's so beautiful, it's so wonderful, it's so refreshing because what Ecclesiastes does to you is it says you are worthless. What Jesus says to you, what I'm saying to you today, is you have so much worth because your essence, your purpose on this world was not dictated by the things of this, of this temporary creation is that your essence is that what is at the core of your existence is eternity and that eternity has been placed in you by God. And so if you feel like your life is vanity, if your life is meaningless, if you are simply going from distraction to distraction, trying to feel that feeling of fulfillment, that feeling that life is good, that life is grand, the only way you're going to find that is not through your career, is not through your family, it's not through a relationship. The only place that you're going to find that true fulfillment of your life, that true fulfillment, that life is as it's supposed to be, is in Christ. Is that we find life when we die. We find life when we die with Christ and we are raised with him in new life. The book of Ecclesiastes explains so well that first point is that you will die. Whether it's with Christ or whether it's without Christ, you will die and your life will be temporary. But the gospel promises you and promises me is that if you die in Christ, if you give your life to Jesus, he has defeated the grave. And that you now live a life of meaning. You need to wake up. We all need to wake up. We all need to wake up from our distractions. Again, this isn't to say that you shouldn't do distractions. You, know, you should watch movies. You should play games. You should do all these things. Do those things. But always know the priority of your life is Christ. Because he's the only thing in your life that's going to last forever. He's the only thing. He's the only thing that's going to lead you to eternity. Everything else is going to fade away. It's only through Christ that we can even be in relationship forever. It's only through Christ that I can have relationship with my kids forever and ever. It's only through Christ that I can have relationship with my wife forever and ever. Without Christ, without Jesus, everything else is vanity. But in Christ, but with Jesus, if we follow him, if we call him Lord, then we will find meaning in everything. Then we'll find freedom in everything. But you're going to die. We're all going to die. My ask to you is that you would die in Christ so that we can be raised up into a new life in him. A new life where there is no vanity. A new life where there's nothing that's temporary. A new life that we can live with him and with one another forever and ever. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this Sunday. Um, Lord, as we go into the book of Ecclesiastes, as we continue the series uh, over the next few weeks, 
Father, as depressing as it may sound, I pray that that feeling of depression or that feeling of sadness, God, that, that anxiety, that worry, that, Lord, we would lay it at the foot of the cross. We would say, Lord, yes, my life is meaningless. Lord, my life is temporary. I need you. Jesus, I need you. I need you because I don't want to just distract myself from my mortality. Lord, I, I want to experience the fullness of life through you. Because you're the only one who has defeated death. You're the only one who has defeated rape. You're the only one who has defeated sin. So Lord, I lay my life down at your feet. I lay everything after you. Would you give me the hope? The hope of glory. The hope of tomorrow. The hope of knowing that every day that I have is with you. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.